Hi, I'm Michelle Shepard, host of Uncover Charmini from CBC Podcasts. In 1999, 15-year-old Charmini Anandavel disappeared on her way to a job that police believed didn't exist. Four months later, her remains were found in a wooded ravine. I revisit the case that has stayed with me for over 20 years, ever since I first covered it as a cub crime reporter for the Toronto Star. You can find Uncover Charmini on CBC Listen or on your favourite podcast app. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Happy New Year. Welcome to The Dose. Well, here we are in 2021, about 10 months since COVID-19 arrived in Canada in full force. It's been a long haul and we still have some difficult months ahead. As we've talked about before on The Dose, the lockdowns and physical distancing necessary to bring this virus back under control have taken a toll on many people's mental health. People have also come up with different coping mechanisms. Some are healthy and others not so much. One behaviour experts have noted throughout the pandemic is increased drinking. A recent survey from Toronto's Centre for Addiction and Mental Health, or CAMH, found more than a quarter of participants reported binge drinking in the previous week. In recent years, many people have embraced a trend known as Dry January, committing to take a break from booze for the month, particularly after the holidays. So today on The Dose, we're going to answer the question, I've been drinking more during COVID-19. Is a Dry January a good idea? To help tackle that, we're joined by Dr. Peter Selby, a clinician scientist specializing in addictions at CAMH. Dr. Selby talked us through mental health and addictions issues that were emerging earlier in the pandemic in 2020. Dr. Selby, welcome back to The Dose. Thanks for having me be back in 2021. It's uh, great to speak with you again, Brian. And you too. Let's start with the survey you and your colleagues at CAMH conducted where a quarter of the respondents reported binge drinking. First of all, how do you define binge drinking? It's different for men and women. For men, it's five or more standard drinks. That means a drink that contains 13.6 grams of alcohol. So that's one beer, five ounces of wine, or an ounce and a half of liquor. And so that's five or more in men per occasion and four or more uh, in women per occasion. And to be clear, the reason why women have a different level from men is, sure, is, is just based on their average weight. At average weight and their susceptibility to alcohol effects. So for the same amount of alcohol, a woman will have more harm from it than a man will. And that's a biological determinant. It's, it's the way women's bodies are constructed compared to men's. Uh, they're much more vulnerable to the effects of alcohol. So how surprising was it that a quarter of respondents said they were binging? It was uh, pretty surprising. And actually, what was more surprising is that at the beginning of the pandemic, there was this difference between men and women. But as the pandemic, you know, within nine weeks, it seemed to disappear. And women sort of seemed to have caught up to the same level as men. It was surprising, but not surprising at the same time, because we realized that people were anxious, people were worried and, as a, and lonely and as a way to cope. People do turn to things like alcohol, which is quite easily available and continue to be highly available during the pandemic. So what are your thoughts about virtual happy hours or Zoom cocktail parties that seem to have been cropping up in the last few months? Well, look, I mean, I think, you know, with alcohol, yes, there is a certain level that if you cross and it becomes more than an occasional uh, issue of, of cons- consumption within, within safe limits, you are putting yourself at risk. And so it's that trade-off. So if you are having, 
a Zoom hour or meeting people and, and you want to, you know, connect. Yes, suddenly having some, uh, you know, something that you can uh, celebrate with is, is helpful, but it doesn't always have to be alcohol. You know, I, we are a, a, a culture that gets together around alcohol. And the question becomes, is that in the grand scheme of things, a healthy thing for most people to do if they tend to uh, do it to accept? Many people believe that uh, the harms from alcohol are only if you become, uh, and to use a derogatory term, that people often say, well, I'm not a skid row alcoholic, which is really not the term we use anymore. We say severe alcohol use disorder. But interestingly enough, the people who land up with liver problems are actually your daily heavy drinker who has been doing this as a routine, as a pattern over time, as opposed to the person who has got this heavy, heavy alcohol consumption. So harms from alcohol can happen even if you're not addicted. So general advice now worldwide is coming down to less is better. Uh, less is better for mental health, less is better for physical health and social health, less violence, less, you know, less issues like that. And, and again, we are concerned with the pandemic that there's been you know, increase in intimate partner violence and, and, and how much does alcohol have a role to play in some of that? So it's complicated. It's not as simple that alcohol is all good or all bad, but we really need to start thinking about how do we have a healthy relationship with alcohol consumption. So we've talked about binge drinking. What about problem drinking? How do we know if our drinking has become a problem? At risk of drinking is, is earlier on where you're drinking at higher levels than the, than, than the guidelines in Canada, which is, you know, seven uh, per week for women and 14 for men. Uh, and depending on which cutoff you lose, can be even lower than that. But essentially, it starts becoming problematic when it starts interfering with your day-to-day functions in your role. So whether it's a health, whether it's your social relationships, that your drinking is becoming problematic because, you know, your doctor's saying, well, you know, it looks like your liver is getting a bit swollen. You've got fatty liver. You're getting early signs of liver damage. Or it's, it's worsening your depression or your insomnia, things that you don't think about. You may say, I'm not sleeping, so I'm drinking more. But now it's actually making your, your sleep worse. But it could also be affecting your relationships, your work, your absenteeism, you know, things like that, or the, you know, the typical inappropriate behavior at, a, at an office party because somebody drank too much. But it's happening more repeatedly, that's starting to fall into the problem drinking. The person is still functioning. Uh, you know, they're still you know, able to, you know, uh, get up in the morning. They're still able to get to work. They may not be drinking through the day, but when they do drink, it tends to be regular and it does lead to these either immediate problems or sort of long-term problems are beginning to creep in. 14 drinks per week for a man seems high. I agree. So, so if you look at what the risks are. So there's an injury risk that, that you have to look at. And then there's a cancer risk. So the cancer risk happens at a lot lower levels of alcohol consumption than you know, we, we let people believe. So you really want to make sure you drink less and space your drinks out in an evening. And, and you know, at any given session, try not to have more than three standard drinks and, and spread it out over an evening if you're a man and, less, and two or less if you're a woman. Uh, you know, so that's for the injury prevention. If you're, if you're trying to, you know, reduce your risk of cancer for a woman, it's like less than a drink a day. And for men, it's less than two drinks a day. So it's a good idea to have at least a few days in the week where you don't drink and you don't drink in situations where it's dangerous to do so. So we've talked about the health impact of drinking. We've talked about problem drinking. How do you define an alcohol substance use dependence or disorder? 
I mean, to put it very simply, if the person is activities are all geared towards consuming alcohol or recovering from the effects of alcohol, you know, at the expense of everything else in their life, that is roughly the lay person's definition of you know, moderate to severe alcohol use disorder. You know, needing a drink first thing in the morning to get going so that your hands are not shaky. Uh, you know, having blackouts where you drink so much that you can't remember what happened at the end of the evening, you know, and, and then having significant problems that are recurrent in your life, physical health, mental health, uh, social health, you know, job loss, impaired driving, all those things all add up and uh, can help make that diagnosis of an alcohol use disorder. Uh, currently, these, you know, by its definition, are unable to regulate the amount of alcohol Consume. So you have one drink that leads to 10. And even though they repeatedly try and want to only drink one or two and, and they, they just have, they've lost control and it's, and, and that requires treatment. This is a related issue I want to ask you about. One aspect of this pandemic that we've talked about before is how stress and isolation can worsen existing addictions or dependencies, including alcohol. What are you seeing on that front now that we're almost a year into this? Well, I've had a few patients who have actually sought treatment because it suddenly becomes apparent to friends and family that this is this is a problem. So they will actually come and seek treatment. And my colleagues who work much more in the front lines are seeing more people who are, uh, you know, in the emergent and and uh, the and the medical withdrawal services who are seeking treatment for uh, alcohol use. It's often in the context of other issues that have made either supply less likely or they've run out of money and then now they're trying to drink non-portable alcohol and those kinds of patients often land up in emergency rooms actually because they get poisoned. But the bulk of people are not hitting that threshold because they've gone into that at-risk or heavy drinking or, or you know problem drinking. They're still functioning and it's and it's not coming up against society because most of them are at home. So the diagnosis of problematic alcohol is, is not just individual self-reflection. It's, it's people around you who also detect it, and they often see it before you do. So, for example, if you, you know, are drinking in the morning or you have alcohol on your breath from the previous night, if you're staying and living alone, no one detects that on you. However, if you were going into the office for 8 a.m. and you were late or you, you, know, you came in with a hangover and you had alcohol on your breath, somebody would, would know that and detect that. Now that's not necessarily happening. My fear, and I think the fear of some of our colleagues, is that as people are binging more, we will see the effects on, on tipping people into more uh, severe forms of alcohol problems uh, in the years to come. We'll be right back. So then what are your thoughts on dry January, especially this year? I think dry January is a, a good idea in every year because it gives people a chance to understand, one, first of all, it gives them a break. Two, it's a great test to know if the problem is greater than what you think it is. So if you say, I'm going to go dry in January, but are unable to meet that goal, then you really got to think about, well, maybe alcohol has more control over me than I have over it. And that is one of the earliest indications that your problems may be greater than you can perceive. And if it is that you're having difficulty meeting that, then seek some help online, in person, through, uh, through your physician uh, or, or through uh, telemedicine to get some help about how to 
either you know, whether you need to stop completely or to moderate uh, or to take some medication or to even go into a treatment program. How effective is a dry January at being the starting point for curbing excessive drinking in the long term? I don't know the data about uh, you know, that particular thing, you know, one thing I'd say a caveat is if you've been a heavy drinker, drinking every morning or through the day, need a drink to get, you know, get going, then don't just stop suddenly because you'll end up with severe withdrawal and that can have a seizure. The dry January is kind of better for the people who sort of, uh, you know, have had just heavy levels of drinking. And that's the main risk from an abrupt withdrawal following a period of heavy drinking that, it, that, that you could have a seizure, which, of course, is a quite serious medical complication. That's correct. And, and that's why, you know, if you're the kind of person who needs that drink first thing in the morning to get going or by the, you know, by two o'clock in the afternoon, you're getting shaky and you need that drink earlier and earlier in the day, you're the person who should probably get some medical attention before you stop drinking. If people think that they may have an alcohol substance use disorder or more broadly a problem with alcohol, what are some things they should do? So the first thing to do is when you're thinking about it, I mean, there's lots of uh, resources there. You, you know, speaking with your doctor, and if you're in Ontario, calling something called Connects Ontario and getting connected to the addiction treatment system, there's, you know, whether you need to go to a withdrawal service, whether you go to a medical withdrawal service or a treatment program, all of those uh, options are available to you. And most provinces have some sort of access, a line or number or service to get people into that system. Obviously, if you're having, you know, significant complications or, you know, those shakes sometimes, and the emergency room is actually your entry point into that system. And then there are the mutual aid uh, groups like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, that's available 24-7. They've gone online now. And lastly, it's really important to speak to loved ones, especially if you've gone into more secretive drinking, if you've been hiding the bottles, you've been having you know, bottles delivered to your place secretly. Getting out and being honest about it makes it harder for the addiction to take hold. If uh, you're having uh, difficulty, there are approved medications now that can help maintain sobriety. And also, if they do drink, it doesn't escalate into a full-blown uh, relapse. We started this topic on with, with talking about, about uh, dry January. So for people who feel they've been drinking too much, they may not have an alcohol use disorder, but they're looking for some sort of a reset. What tips do you have for increasing the likelihood of making that dry January a success? So what we do know is obviously setting a date. And then working up to the date to actually, you know, often people say, well, I'll have one last around. They go from this massive bender and then stop. You know, that has its own risks because of falls and injuries and what have you. It's actually, for many people, it's better to start moderating before you take that day and, and, and stop. And then you want to make sure you've, you've essentially cleared out the opportunity to drink. So you don't want to have all the cues and triggers of bottles and, and alcohol available around you if you're trying to go dry. And then think about the people you're hanging out with. If those act as triggers for you to drink, then maybe interact with them in ways that does, doesn't trigger you to have a drink. It's people, places, and things that make you want to drink. You're looking at alternatives for that. Often when people are drinking heavily, they're spending a lot of time on that drinking. So if they can spend some time thinking about what they would do with that, you know, do spend that time differently in more creative and constructive things, whether it's physical activity or working out or, or, or artistic activities, things that can keep you busy are important ways to keep yourself away from alcohol and taking it once day at a time, rather than trying to say, okay, you know, I'm going to make it 30 days without it, but 
but often people land up falling, but just go one day and see how long you can make it. And when you make 30, that's great, but put milestones along the way, you know, start with, can you go one day? Can you go seven days? If you've gone seven days, really the withdrawal issues are not driving your drinking. It's usually the habit that is driving it or the stress that's driving it. It's important to keep yourself busy with other activities, whether it's physical activity, relaxation exercises, uh, making sure you get back to a normal routine for sleep because alcohol interferes with sleep patterns and, and the sleep rhythms. Um, making sure that you are eating well and making sure you haven't you know, overly depleted yourself from uh, all the B vitamins that can, can get, get affected by uh, alcohol, uh, especially thiamine. And work on a distraction as a method to handle in the moment cravings that might arise when you feel like, wouldn't it be nice to have a drink right now? You know, we talked about alcohol withdrawal seizures, which are an extreme form of alcohol withdrawal. What are some of the other symptoms that people who want to experience a dry January might experience in those first seven days? One of the things that people will comment about is that they get shaky. So that's so tremors, fine tremors, especially in the hand, the tongue, that is early signs of withdrawal and people can get that. And as soon as they have a drink, those shakes go away. So that's one diagnostic way of knowing whether it's alcohol related and it happens a few hours after the last drink or can happen up to even a day later. Uh, depending on how severe it is, they can have things like sweats and, and feeling shaky. They can be anxious, uh, restless. They, they may be uh, more sweaty. They may be, feel more... Uh, nauseous. So they have all these other symptoms as well. And the worst, more severe form, uh, obviously, is they are starting to, to hallucinate and see illusions and see things. And, you know, often people make fun about it. I'm seeing pink elephants, but that is pretty serious, actually, and, and should be see, treated as a medical emergency. The risk of having uh, seizures, usually the highest risk is on the third day after stopping. And, and for those patients, it's a, you know, it's what we call a grand mal seizure. It's, it's a full-blown seizure. It can be quite dangerous for those individuals. You know, if they've had a history of seizures in the past, they definitely should, you know, undergo withdrawal under medical supervision. And if they've had a seizure, get to the emergency because the, they can prevent the next seizure from happening. Last question I wanted to ask you, let's put us back into a prevention mode. How do we get around this bias to alcohol during Zoom meetings, especially for those who are meeting online to try to connect in these very troubled times of COVID? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, switch to another platform, but really think about... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not, not to slag Zoom, I'm, you know, no, I'm no, sure that exactly. Google Meets can also be associated with increased alcohol <laughs> consumption too. So there are ways to drink online and do it safely. So measure your drinks before and, and, and have them. So if you're going to have two standard drinks that evening and have one drink in the first hour, then the next hour have something that is non-alcoholic and then have uh, another drink and you'll be better for it the next day as well. You won't have as much of a hangover. It won't interfere so much with your sleep and, and your mood. Uh, I mean, alcohol in the short term may help your mood, but in the long term is a depressant. You know, during a pandemic, we want to keep our wits about us. So if you're going to drink, and drink online with people who do it safely. Dr. Peter Selby, uh, thank you so much for uh, making the prospects of a dry January uh, a lot clearer to understand. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye for now. Thanks for having me. That was Dr. Peter Selby, a clinician scientist specializing in addictions at CAMH. We reached him on a Zoom chat and a dry one at that. Since the pandemic began, men and women have been drinking more and binge drinking is up. Both stress and isolation are factors, and more people in recovery are relapsing too. 
As well, when you work from home, none of your coworkers will be able to smell alcohol in your breath. So here's your dose of smart advice. For men, binge drinking means five consecutive standard drinks of alcohol during a two-hour period. For women, it's four drinks in two hours. So let's talk about standard drinks. A standard drink contains 13.6 grams of alcohol. To break that down into actual servings, you get that much from a regular bottle of 5% alcohol beer, cider, or cooler. Same goes for a shot of hard liquor measuring 1.5 ounces. And for those consuming wine, a standard pour is 5 ounces or 142 ml. Now, for men, problem drinking means 14 standard drinks of alcohol per week. For women, though, problem drinking means as little as seven standard drinks per week. That's one standard drink a day. So why are women different from men? On average, they weigh less than men. And physiologically, alcohol affects women more severely. That means women who drink the same amount as men have a higher risk of alcohol dependence. And many studies have also shown a link between excessive alcohol consumption and an increased risk of many forms of cancer. Resolving to have a dry January is a great way to test the chance of long-term abstinence. If you've been binging, then quitting cold turkey could trigger a seizure. If you binge or if you're above the limit for problem drinking, speak to a health professional before giving dry January a try. If you get the go-ahead to try a dry month, try to moderate your alcohol consumption leading up to the date you set to quit. Get rid of alcohol in your home. If the people you hang out with drink a lot, you may want to seek out the company of those who drink less. Right now, that might mean bowing out of Zoom cocktail hours or just making a mocktail instead. If you spend a lot of time drinking or planning to drink, you'll need to fill those hours with something new. Try taking walks, a new hobby, or meditating. And don't forget to pat yourself on the back every time you hit a milestone like going a day, a week, or a month without a drink. If you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose or questions you'd like answered, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBCWhiteCoat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can find The Dose and White Coat Black Art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our shows highly so more people can find us. This episode of The Dose was produced by Jeff Goods, Nicole Ireland, and Donna Dingwall with a special welcome to Willow Smith, who's joining us on The Dose. Digital support was from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks to Lauda Antonelli for her technical wizardry. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.